0: I have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, an hint of riches new and old. So began the riddle of Forest Fenn, an eccentric millionaire whose call to adventure had us first formally organize an adventuring crew ten years ago. Join us today as we recount our cautionary tale, hear about our latest research, stick around for our advice on beginning your own quest for lost treasure. At Haunt and Gather, every summer is a hot pirate summer. Let's go
1: on an adventure to the brink of Maybe get some answers Answer. to the big questions. Let's leave our shells and who we are behind. Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Haunt and Gather. I'm Jack. And I'm Ben. And tonight we've got a really good one lined up for you. It's very much in the realm of both adventure in the great outdoors, and also yet another cautionary tale about not letting what you think is your better judgment get the best of you.
0: So last episode, we had discussed our return to the Hessian village, and we ended that episode with how we had learned the lesson of not delving too deep into theoretical belief systems, especially when exploring the supernatural, because that detracted from our own theories, which we are quite proud of, and our sense of wonder. So today, we have a different cautionary tale. This is going to be the time we looked for buried treasure.
1: Which is, I would say in many ways, what kicked off the adventure aspect of our, what would you even call this, Ben? Career? hobby bit of both our vocation there you go our our vocation our labor of love
0: our destiny so yeah it's this one's about analysis paralysis and missing the assignment so i know we said we were going to talk about bigfoot today where's bigfoot we promised bigfoot we did
1: and For any listener that's kept up with us by this point, you should know that our methods are nothing if not thorough. And Bigfoot is a huge project to undertake. It would be a disservice to each and every one of you if we were to just rattle something off about a Wikipedia page or an excerpt from a book or two. We're talking an actual investigation. You know we like to get on site. We need to find where that site is, and that is not a small order to fill.
0: So we've done a couple things. We have gone on a Bigfoot investigation on the Appalachian Trail, which was it was a blast. We ton of fun interviewed uh, an expert, uh, a local expert that we are really excited about more details in a minute. And we went to a Bigfoot fest, which we'll also be talking about in the future. So we are doing Bigfoot things. We want to wait until there isn't just enough content for one episode but for a whole dedicated series on it. So that's going to take some time. Think of Bigfoot as season two. We are in season one right now of Haunt and Gather getting ready to go all Bigfoot. But meaning before we dive straight into Bigfoot, we still have a
1: ton of very good stories about haunted houses and shadows and all manner of spooky and adventurous things for you guys. So while we are gathering proper research material and getting our investigations and all of that squared away, fear not, plenty to keep you amused and bolted to your seats as we sit around the campfire and discuss more fun outdoorsy
0: adventures in this. So here's how the podcast structure will proceed moving forward. Before we get to the meat of each episode, we are going to have a gathering. So that's going to be an update on the present state of our projects. We want to bring you in to some of our research as things evolve over time. These things will evolve into future episodes or they won't. These might be about Bigfoot. They might be about other things. So let's get started, actually, with our gathering right now. Ben, you mind if I crack open the first point? Yeah, please. Awesome. So general update
1: on Bigfoot. We had the pleasure with speaking with, spoiler, Emily Floor of the Forest Floor, both YouTube channel and podcast. uh, Very big local Bigfoot expert. Some months ago, we actually met at said Bigfoot Fest, and I won't reveal any more than that. But we also were able to meet offline uh, just to meet up, talk shop, kind of get some pointers. Ben and I have never gone Sasquatch hunting prior to this line of investigation, and we had a lot to learn and kind of get caught up on. And uh, many of her methods really vibed with our approach. Uh, So now that we've had that conversation, it's time to roll up our sleeves, dig in and do a few well-chosen searches. Now, we'd prefer to meet up and do them together, but just due to where the leads are taking us and the fact that we live quite far apart from each other, some of these searches will likely have to be undertaken solo as well.
0: Right. So when we first saw Emily Floor speak at the Bigfoot Festival uh, that was in Whitehall, New York that's when we started talking about transitioning to doing uh, cryptids. We were kind of looking for a way out of ghosts and haunted houses. We were getting a little bit burnt out on that. And this seems so bright, so optimistic. And we heard about the research methods and how seriously she was taking that topic. We wanted to to get on board and, and do our part as well. So Bigfoot is something that is going to be treated very differently than a lot of our other content. You know, we have theorized about shadows in the forest and and we we have ideas on things that are using energy we've talked about orbs we're trying to take these paranormal these paranormal events and think outside of the box what could be happening with bigfoot we have we we say no here is the answer we know what it is we believe in it our goal over the course of several episodes is to get skeptical listeners to also look at these facts and go, honestly, objectively, I kind of believe in Bigfoot. I can't believe I'm saying that. That's our goal. You might think right now there's no way that's going to happen, but even Jack, when this started, you you were pretty skeptical about Bigfoot.
1: I was, and not to tilt the hand too, too much, a lot of that stemmed from very popular and prevalent theories from the corner of the Bigfoot sphere known as the woo,
0: yeah. Oh boy. It, ironically, Bigfoot Woo was the first of our exposure to the high strangeness that we then took with us into the woods in <laughs> Connecticut. So it's all full circle. So with Bigfoot, uh we're both looking into uh networking and the Uh, investigations themselves which are a lot of work these are a lot of work these are not us going to a spooky place at night and hoping something happens these are boring because we're looking for an ape this is a very this is not a supernatural investigation this is a kind of Jane Goodall-esque approach is what Emily Floor took she's taking a scientific approach and science is oftentimes boring so it is going to be a while folks I I do
1: have to say though I think that this does have a lot of promise and this is coming from a former Bigfoot can't be real skeptic, uh, <laughs> and it was that Jane Goodall approach that sort of tied the two together for me. Let's assume that Bigfoot is a relic hominid, and I'm not going to go too far down this because I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Um, let's assume it is right. Jane Goodall took forever and a day to find silverback gorillas in an area much more confined than the areas of the United States that Bigfoot, Sasquatch, what have you, is said to inhabit. It is not technically impossible that these creatures have existed under our noses, especially given the scientific community's general attitude toward them. And I won't go further than that.
0: Oh, see, you got a little bit of a taste. Um, Another thing that we had mentioned. uh, So the first part of the gathering is for you, dear listener, on some projects we've already mentioned. So we talked about Bigfoot. Another one I had mentioned was Mothballs for Mothman. Which was a tongue-in-cheek kind of takedown and analysis of John Keel's Mothman prophecies. That was what I had read uh, while at Disney when Jack was uh, traipsing through the forests, getting his night vision batteries killed. Uh, Matt's night vision batteries killed. I still don't and, know which of us got the better deal out of that. I really don't. Uh, it was me. So <laughs> I was I was I was living pretty large. So. Uh, we actually did do a recording of chapter one where I read chapter one out to Jack. Obviously, we don't have the rights to the book, which does have a copyright on it. So we can't use that audio. So, going w- the way that we're going to have to do this is that Jack has a copy, I have a copy, and we essentially do a read along where we're not quoting directly. And then ideally, a reader could hear our analysis, a listener could hear our analysis, or could read along with our analysis over the course of a, a couple read-alongs. kind of like a book club. So so that one, uh, lower priority, we did do some work on it, and the way it currently works isn't really usable in a way that's going to be meaningful to anybody. It's. It was fun. It, it was, was fun. a ton
1: of fun, but simply put, it is not legally viable to publish it in its current format. would definitely need to be, as Ben said, something of a book club where it's, hey, kids, this week we're doing chapter one and we discuss, you know,
0: in sequence what we think. So for the rest of the gathering, uh, this is going to be a little bit more us talking shop. Uh, These are going to be updates between me and Jack. Right now we are catching you, listener, up to what we have been up to. I kind of know where Jack's research is. He kind of knows where mine is. Going forward, we're going to be sharing a lot less between recordings, so that we'll be learning what we've been up to as you're learning it as well. Uh, So, floor is yours, Jack. Awesome. So,
1: this one in particular is right in my own backyard. It is a ski lodge of whose name I do not have the permission to use, and the owner would not take particularly kindly to having it getting this sort of publicity, but... Certain members of the Lodge staff had noted this past Halloween specifically, they went ahead and they set up a sort of a haunted house walkthrough through the outside of this Lodge in the off-season. Freaking cool. Wish I'd knew more about it. I would have gone do it myself. But what was weird was what happened with some of the theming. So they did cautionary. It is going to be a bit Native American exploitative-y, but... Uh, Some of the theming was like skinwalkers, specifically wendigos for the New England woods. If you really want to scare the pants off of somebody, not the worst subject material. If a bit insensitive, I couldn't speak to how they executed on it to really tell you. But I'm going to err on the side of caution here. Not the interesting part. The interesting part is the fact that once they got this exhibit up and running, strange things started to happen. There would actually be documentations of shadows in the woods. Uh, Things that were breaking branches and moving around, you know, large creatures, but you can't see them too loud to be a bear, that sort of thing. And equipment would start breaking down. So we're talking electrical equipment. We're talking even when they were testing some of the snowmaking equipment, machines that were running like a top reliably would inexplicably break. And we're, you know, this is not a place that cuts costs on deferred maintenance, that sort of thing. Um, Right. So... We do have a little bit of an in. We don't have outright permission to go onto the property as a sanctioned investigation to look into these things because, again, the owner doesn't want that kind of publicity. But if we're very careful about the names, if we're very unobtrusive about, you know, keeping the investigation to just the outdoors areas, we do have essentially tacit not disapproval to investigate the areas
0: in and around it. So has there ever been any kind of sightings?
1: Ah uh, yes, mostly shadows. I mean I I'm not going to tell you someone saw a Wendigo with their own eyes. Uh, no, I right. can't 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 confirm that. But there have been sightings of shadows, like large shadows moving around. Uh independent of that the restaurant is supposedly quite haunted with the ghost of a young girl. Rule number 1 it never is, but it never is. Right. And what's weirder, shortly after there were also sightings of a large dog. Oh no. Sp- I know, right? So coyote, wolf, not entirely sure. I mean, coyotes are all over Connecticut. Uh, Wolves, of course, not in a very long time. But that had also been sighted. And, you know, your typical behaving weirdly, not really afraid of people, but keeping a distance at the tree line. Been seen sort of flitting around some of the outbuildings. And that struck me as odd because... there is literally no reports from staff about any of this happening
0: prior to this specific exhibition going up. It's the large canine in particular that interests me. That is something I know at Skinwalker Ranch, early Skinwalker Ranch, that is something that had occurred. Uh, you had a very large wolf, an impossibly large wolf, that seemed almost artificial. Right. That was acting very atypical. And then that happens a lot with other um First Nation folklore. That you come up against you have large canines as a warning sign or this could be nothing it could be failing machinery and just one of god's perfect puppies the great coyote just you know doing his usual doing his usual cute stuff i would love to hear more about that and uh, that might be one that i'd i'd really like to look more into you're no, more than welcome so there is one I'm really excited to look into. This is the Indian Lake Project, if you've heard of that. I've actually read many a creepypasta about it, probably the same ones you have. So what's interesting is it goes beyond just the creepy pastas. Uh you know, the classic In a Woods, I found a thing in a woods. This is someone actually who started the Indian Lake Project legend had a blog where He followed these concrete pylons into the forest. He found a bunker and it turned out it was a part of an old MK ultra project affiliated with project artichoke. That's weird CIA stuff folks. And, uh, it's stranger than fiction. If you ever find anything on it really is. And if we do get to an episode talking about the Indian lake project, we will have to talk about MK ultra (gasps) extensively.
1: Cold war spy goofiness. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, and it gets really sinister. On the one hand, when you have a blog and right as he's about to blow it out of the water, silence and he stops updating and he was complained about being followed. It se- it seems like a hoax, but at the same time, it's so close to me. And MK Ultra stuff is so weird that it's just enough for me to look into. So so that's it. I just wanted to say I, I'm right now going through this guy's blog. Um, And I'm printing it out and I'm kind of cataloging any clues I can find to the whereabouts of the place. So
1: I I have to say, though, Ben, I'm a lot more concerned about getting disappeared, digging into things we oughtn't from a government perspective than I am about, you know, me getting nommed by a Native American, you know, spirit creature. All right. Famous last go, go, go surface level with that. And when you're ready to dig deeper, I would request that you let me know and we can coordinate a weekend. I yeah, just you, that, you got it. That, that I will not like,
0: openly announce this is the weekend we're going to do it, because, again, that's what the guy in the blog did. And right.
1: No, no, this is literally like you and I send smoke signals and you let me know and we'll get a weekend together. But I, I just I don't know, man. I feel like that's a that's a really spooky
0: head on a swivel one. And I I wouldn't want to do it alone. Right. Uh. So and if it's not clear, so if this was real. Which we have and to assume
1: two, it is for safety's
0: sake. <laughs> two layers of reality, right? Is the blog real and is the location real? Right. Because there might be a bunker in Indian Lake and then he made a story about it, right? So it could be that there is a place to explore, but then the MK Ultra tie-in he engineered. I don't know. I don't it, know.
1: It, it could have been an awesome bit of storytelling and it's like an old fallout shelter. Don't know yet.
0: Right. Don't know. Um, So there might be more on that in the future. Uh, All right. What else you got?
1: Okay, so this one is going to be a little more straightforward and it's I want to dig deeper as to the time of year to hit it. But this one is in Connecticut. It's called Barahack, which is Welsh for, I believe, like something about abundance or bread. I'll have to look deeper into that. But what it's more colloquially known as is the Village of Voices. And this one appears to be purely residual haunting. There's a lot of folklore about, you know, seeing children sitting in the tree above the cemetery, that kind of thing. But the really good draw that seems to be consistent throughout, like, literal history, we're talking almost the better part of a century, is that if you go into Barahack or the area where it used to be, you can hear this village as if it's thrumming in its prime. We're talking, like, fascinating. Oh, yeah. We're talking like the spinning water wheel, people talking, you know, the typical like 18th, 17th century marketplace, you know, where you've got the chickens clucking and the wagons rolling by and you can hear like teamsters hauling stuff. And this is not hyperbole or exaggeration. These are things that people have claimed to have heard when they go there. It's in a very lovely part of the state. So we can go check out Barahack or I can go check out Barahack, see what it's all about. Maybe I'll see something sinister glaring at me from the cemetery tree. I don't know. Uh, but it does seem like a pretty cool outdoorsy place to go check out.
0: Okay. Uh, and you know what? That one doesn't have any related large spirit canine or government agency. So that one's right. some of the nicest so
1: far. <laughs> I'm not going to get eaten or black bagged and disappeared.
0: Of these three vacation destinations. So a uh, uh, quick Quick bullet points on a couple other things just to bring you up to speed. Um, I am looking at Randonautica as uh, a potential uh, adventure episode uh, of something that's kind of part tutorial of an adventure you can go on and something for us to do. Um, Randonautica is it uses a quantum computer in Australia to make a truly random location. And because of that, people also ascribe and Randonautica ascribes a spiritual significance to that, um, that there's some manifesting and stuff that I don't necessarily uh, buy into, but it's it's accessible enough where essentially if we took a day to do it, there's ways to play Randonautica as a game where we put in certain um, inputs of intentions, and then it will send us to randomized locations. So you and I can do that in the woods and uh, use a randomized list of interesting word prompts, and and we could see what happens.
1: That actually sounds like a blast. You've been feeding me little tidbits about this as Mm -hmm. you've been sort of digging deeper. And I mean, to your point, I don't know how much sock I put into the spiritual manifesting portion of this, but quantum computing and how it uses algorithms and calculations is fascinating, and I'm sure it's going to send us on some pretty interesting adventures.
0: Yep. I'm also um so I have been uh talking to uh a few people on some collaborative projects. I'm gonna wait until they get a little bit more developed um before I, I sort of announce them. But we are working right now on some articles on liminality, uh which also ties oh. into the Randonautica. So so there's there's a few things there, but I don't have too much more at this point in time. Um, I know we've spent a bit of time in the gathering, so I think we can conclude here and we can get into the episode proper. Sounds like a plan to me. Let's do it. So I guess we should start
1: by diving into Forest Fen and how we found out about him and how we got into this whole treasure hunting thing. So, I mean, Ben, honestly, you you took to the research on this like a duck to water Who is Forrest Fenn?
0: Right. So uh, I'd never heard of the guy. I want to say it was you who originally found an article, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I, I stumbled upon it when
1: we were looking for, you know, I mean, we'll shamelessly say it. College was winding down. Our work lives were about to begin. We were thirsting for adventure and... It started with a very innocent question of, are are there really any treasures still left to find out there in the world? And this was one of the top list articles that I'd run into, was this dude, Forrest Fenn, and his treasure.
0: Every time you came across any kind of compilation on lost treasures, this one was either the top of the list, followed by smaller potatoes of... You know, an author hid uh, a bracelet out there somewhere and you can find it or we're going to find that golden owl or for the more on that later. (laughs) Or uh, you have a a list of actual real life buried treasures, Captain Kidd's treasures, the lost, you know, Civil War treasures of the South. And then his is at the bottom of the list. The treasures of Oak Island. Yeah. If it's an epic list of treasures, he's at the bottom. But still on that list, if it was accessible treasures to a novice treasure hunter, he was at the top because you had within, you know, this guy's still alive. He's saying he hid treasure. He hid about six million dollars worth of gold coins. Who is this guy? Forrest Fenn is an old dude in his 90s who, who buried some treasure and was really smug about it and said, buy my autobiography. Because there's clues to get treasure in there. And I then bought not just that book, but another book he wrote later on. Uh, But, uh, oh boy, at that point in time, his books were going at about $86 a pop. For a a very overproduced, uh, pretty scant book. On an interesting life, to be fair. Uh, This man fought, uh, he was a pilot in the Vietnam War. He became an art collector in New Mexico, and had a museum. He's very this will come up a lot. He's very anti-intellectual, not in kind of the more politically charged meaning these days, but more, you know, I never lot let educate. Uh, I never let school get in the way of my education. Kind of Mark Twain sort of guy. He was he was cunning, more than intelligent. So that was him, and he lived one hell of a life. He had cancer, pretty severe cancer, and thought he was going to die. And uh, he didn't. He pulled through, again, I think in his mid-80s, he had the diagnosis and he pulled through. And so that kind of, again, reasserted the idea of legacy and what do you live for. So he consolidated a lot of his wealth and he, he buried it. He wrote a poem. And then a lot of people went out looking for this treasure. At least five people died looking for the treasure, which, again, will affect the story a little bit. So I, I was in law school at the time, as was our co-treasure hunter, Aaron. Aaron has been involved in a few of the stories you've heard about so far. He was present at Downs Road. He made an appearance there. at Whiskey Hollow as well. Mm-hmm. He was. He was one of my... Test subjects at Whiskey Hollow when I didn't tell them where the spooky yes. part was.
1: Yes, your paranormal Milgram experiment.
0: <laughs> I'm not ashamed. So so we, we had these books. I scanned every page of these books so that we'd all have access to them. Now, we had a total of four people on our team. It was actually the four people who went to Downs Road. Because uh, we had our uh, artist in a museum a museum friend uh, at the time there with us as well. But it really was uh bulk of the research, you know, so the three of us were the research team and Jack was going to be the the guy who would get us once we were getting to the treasure. He, he'd be the more practical kind of Sherpa for us. Boy, I read these books. He released Thrill of the Chase was the book about hey here's the poem and i hid clues in my autobiography. He released a second book called Too Far to Walk. Too Far to Walk um now that one had a map in it, that a tear out map that i actually have a copy pulled up here because i did um i did throw that map out. You know what? But okay, before we get into the books, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Someone found the treasure. Let's Yeah, let's, let's open let's with scut- that. I think that's a very important to realize piece of this information. I don't want to lead people on. The treasure was found in 2018 or 2019 by it it wasn't wasn't by us. We were not the ones who found it. We are going to go into why we didn't find it, because I will say it's our fault. We would have found it. This is completely on us. We did not pull the trigger. We learned a lot of lessons there.
1: So it's a little bit of self roast and a very oh, yeah. good
0: cautionary tale. So there were there were exactly two groups of people who do not find treasure. we I'm going to bring this up several times in the episode. There are the people who overthink it. They do not meet the puzzle or the challenge on its terms. The second type of person is the person who can solve the riddle and does nothing with it we fall into the second category in this story we found the treasure on paper and then sat on our hands and that is not us trying to say oh we're so smart and clever we would have found it we're going to go into the analysis a little bit we don't know where the treasure actually was found um that was kept private because uh, that prevents people from making claims if if the treasure had been buried on private property, for example. Some, some states actually expressed interest uh, and also because people died. Fenn probably doesn't want to state which jurisdiction might be able to press charges. I don't know. Um, so, okay, so we did not find the treasure. The treasure was found. So we also know the treasure was real. Um, That was a thing that came up a lot as people said this couldn't be real. That was also the third. We won't even talk about them. The third kind of person who doesn't find buried treasure is the person who doesn't believe in buried treasure because it's for storybooks. Obviously, what a sad existence. What a sad, sad. It couldn't happen because it's too cool. What? Are you kidding me? Get in on that. Don't know. Right. Again. Guys. We're not talking about the lights and the shadows in the woods. We're not talking about Bigfoot. We're we're just we're just talking about buried treasure. We know there's buried treasure. A literal
1: chest of gold coin. Actually, just the other week, topical because of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Farmer literally did find thousands of dollars of old Civil War gold coins buried in his field. Oh, boy. More Civil War gold got found. Oh, you flippin betcha. Oh, I, feel, I feel like I feel like in the waning days, the Confederacy was hiding that crap like Easter
0: eggs. Oh, boy. Uh, we will have to one day talk about the Golden Circle. I, I do want this episode, by the way, to be named in a way where the same we, we we had dead Hessians, one dead Hessians, two. Right. I want like just something, you know, generic like treasure hunt.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, like, I'm should gonna workshop a pseudo Indiana Jones name?
0: Uh, you know, ooh, OK, so I, you can say no, I won't be hurt. No, I, I, I love that. That's honestly, a lie. I would I, be. I want people to look at this one and know this is the forest fen one. OK, but but wow. I also want it like generic title colon because I feel like treasure hunts is something I would like to come back to.
1: Well, dear if listeners, we're talking about you'll see our verdict when this publishes.
0: <laughs> I just I I really think that if we're going to talk about adventures from you know it, we want to push people outside. A lot of the stories that we tell are not gonna incentivize people to leave their homes, man. You're not right <laughs> Come on outside! The big the big spooky wolves in the shadows in the lights will are waiting for you. Hey, do you want
1: to have your energy drained like you're a giant human battery? Come out to the woods.
0: Yeah. So maybe maybe this is another great way for people to explore uh, the great outdoors. I like that. I did that. I mean, we met we met up in Albany at one point in time. I remember this. We got really in character is is treasure hunters, but on a budget. So we 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 met up. we, We figured that Albany, New York was like equidistant between, you know, like all of us. Kind of wasn't, but it, it's where um, it we all the... had, had gone to school. We knew That's the area at SUNY Albany, so we um, we rented we rented a hotel there.
1: It was a nice hotel. It
0: was a nice hotel, and I brought my notes, and we just sat and we talked shop, you know, made it more real than doing it over over Skype or something like that. And there there was just something about sitting outside with that cheap continental breakfast where we felt like kings and treasure hunters like no one. We were that we were that meme of the guy in the corner at the party, you know, <laughs> we we're at the hotel. They don't know we're here to talk about buried treasure. Oh, it felt good. I remember uh, I, I, I think uh, I remember Aaron at some point in time kind of used it as like almost a, a pickup line. I remember where he he said, like, he impressed someone by telling her about the buried treasure. And she. She turned out to be a very came off as a very intelligent person that was very interested in the treasure. And I remember being really salty about it because I was, you know, getting that gold fever of she she's going to get our she's she's going to get our clues. She she's jumping in on the claim. She can't. She doesn't get a share of our cut. Yeah, I, um, I'd like
1: to stress that even in those early yeah. days, we were so confident that we were going to be
0: the ones to find it. So we were so confident. We were both so sure. And completely sure that we'd never even get there. Right. It was it was weird. It was a weird duality because you, when you approached it like a riddle, you could solve it. When you approached yes. it as a thing that you had to, I mean, go out and do be, this map, by the way, that that Forrest Fenn eventually released has Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. And and when he released it, it's the left, the left edge of Montana, you know, the face, going into the left side of Wyoming, left side of Colorado, and just the tippy tip top middle of New Mexico. And he's like, it's somewhere here. Uh, and in the in the map it said Forrest Fenn's hidden treasure is somewhere to be found within the highlighted region of the Rocky Mountains on this map. Well, to people in New York and Connecticut, that uh, especially when like you know we're I'm in law school, um one of them's also in law school, um yeah, Jack, you you were finishing up some classes at the time. Yep.
1: I was finishing my we're all, degree while working.
0: Like that kind of trip, that scale was very daunting for us. It was a really uh, tall order. And that's what that really is what stopped us now. But we did meet up and we, we went really nitty gritty. And I still have the Albany meeting Google Doc. I Like I've got it open here and it's 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 pretty bare bones because we, we opened up some other stuff. So what I would like to do at this point in time is read the Forrest Fen poem that he published. Then I'd like to go into the nine clues that we had determined and why there were nine clues. Uh, Then I will go into some of the research and the analysis of what we did with those clues. And then I think Jack, I'll hand over to you um, what we would have done. Yes. And what we were prepared to do. And then we'll close out with, like I said, the cautionary tale we've already kind of tipped our hand a little bit of Our problem, we waited too long. We didn't jump on it. But we noticed what other people were doing as well with this information. And I have seen this repeated in similar situations. So um, I think as we wind down, we've typically had a practical portion to our podcasts. And uh, I I think we can kind of refresh again how to go about finding hidden treasure and the pitfalls to avoid is what I propose being our, our practical i love it all right I, great perfect. do you like that listener we thought yeah? you yeah okay so i think uh let's go into let's go into the poem first as i have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold i can keep my secret where and hint of riches new and old Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put it below the home of Brown. From there it's no place for the meek. The end is drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer's I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold.
1: Thanks, Captain Barbosa.
0: You're welcome. So I've got here nine clues. Uh, Some of the information that he specifically gave us. um, I have a quote by him. Um, He says. I knew exactly where to hide the chest, so it would be difficult, but not impossible. It's in the mountains somewhere north of Santa Fe indecision is the key to flexibility and that's why i waited so long to secret my cash george burns was 100 years old when someone asked him how his health was he replied my health's good it's my age that's killing me and like eric sloan at age almost 80 i figured it was time to act okay so his cancer i'm sorry so his cancer would have been when he was a bit younger because it was post-cancer yeah. he Hit the jersey. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: So he he'd recovered, but I think
0: that was his wake up call where he's like, it was his wake up call." Yeah. I don't
1: know how many more years I have left. Let me give the world one last good adventure.
0: And so he said. Uh, he also, by the way, which we won't talk about. He he made bells and he buried bells in the year two thousand. No, oh, no, I didn't one cares know about that. The bells. Yeah. I he, mean, he yeah. also has. He didn't give clues to the bells. Is the thing he doesn't want them found. He wants like people in like 300 years to
1: find them (laughs) amateur metal detectors in like the next century. What's the What, why are you here?
0: Uh, So he said, so I wrote a poem containing nine clues, which if followed precisely will lead to the end of my rainbow and the treasure. That's important. The end of my rainbow. So, um, so we have nine clues in this poem Um, and we're going to take it kind of um, stanza by stanza. Nine poems, uh, or nine nine clues, and he says at another point in time, um, every few years he'd kind of give another hint, he said at one point in time it was, it was near water, it's near water or somewhere wet. He also at one point in time um, stated that the first two to three clues can be solved from home, but once you figure out the starting point, you should be able to do the rest from the location. He actually on said... Site. It, one point you have to be there for these others to make sense so um so there there are a couple clues which ones are the nine we we've kind of debated over but um so here we go first stanza is i have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold i can keep my secret where And hint of riches new and old. Now I did put as I have gone alone in there as the first potential clue um, because he went alone. And he's pointed out when people started dying. He was like, you guys are overthinking this. I was an old man who just survived cancer treatment when I did this. And this was heavy. I had to take two trips back and forth to my car and I did it by myself. So like i'm close it's kind of close to a road guys like you will have to go into the wilderness to follow the clues because i know that region that's important to realize but um so he knew the wilderness but it's too far to walk (gasps) hey it's that thing not far but too far to walk that's the thing in the poem
1: title (laughs) title in the movie
0: and and oh, hey, what's the name of that second biography he published that had the map in called Too Far to Walk? It's pretty important as he keeps hammering. Hey, guys. I like you. You you shouldn't be going in the middle of nowhere. You're going to end close to a road. You should be heading towards a road at all times. So so as I have gone alone in there to me was the first clue. Um, But but. Let's just count number one beginning in the next stanza with the understanding that that first line is a, a subtle clue. We'll start our, our count coming up because we can debate what the nine are. So the the next stanza is begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of Brown. Uh, so the first. Uh, begin it where worms water halt uh, that feels like clue number one. Begin it where warm waters halt. Take it in the canyon down. Clue number two. Not far, but too far to walk. Clue number three. Um, Put in below the home of Brown. That's a specific. So that's four. So we've got, we're going to start where there are warm waters halting. We're going to go into a canyon. Um, We're not going to go too far. But too far to walk for this old guy. And we, it, it's put in below the home of Brown. So the treasure is underneath something that when you look at it, you go, ah, the home of Brown. That could be something that's like a, a cabin. It could be a rock feature that looks like a house. It could be a bear Den, carving right? on a tree. We don't know. Um, next. From there, it's no place for the meek. The end is drawing ever nigh. There will be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. So paddle up your creek and heavy loads and water high I put is um, five and six or six and seven, depending on what you counted. Um, There's a creek and high waters. And you won't want to be schlepping this stuff through it when you find it. And heavy loads and water high, so potentially a waterfall. If you've been wise and found the blaze, okay, right there. That's a clue because he's telling you that he has marked. Uh, so a blaze, by the way, is a trail marker, typically on a tree or a stone. Um, that is usually a for someone when they see
1: it usually officially put out by a park association. Uh, unclear as to whether or not he means it's off of an actual blaze off of a trail or if this was one he made himself.
0: I think that it's if you've been wise and found the blaze, I think it's one he put up. Uh, I remember oh, we talked about this actually that's that guy, right, which is if this is a trail maintained marker and he it's not like this guy could bury this, right, right? or or do anything too extravagant, and no one saw him do this, and he was sure no one would find this by accident. I feel like he found an obscure spot and stuck this out there. Maybe we'll see. I think he put a blaze there. Um look quickly down your quest to cease, but Terry scant with Marvel gaze. just take your chest and go in peace. The next one, you know, hey, uh, why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know, I've done it tired and now I'm weak. Um, I don't think there's any clues in that 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 we didn't go over with is I have gone alone in there or I not far but too far to walk again, he's an old man um so so hear me all and listen good, your effort will be worth the cold if you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the cold or to the gold so. Um, Eight and nine, it's worth the cold. You're in the wood. So those are those are the final two. So the first two you can find on a map. So that's why really why originally as I have gone alone in there, I counted as being a clue. I think for the sake of his nine, when he says the first two or three you can find on paper, um. Well, that first one is I have gone alone in there, doesn't help me on a map. So I really think begin it where warms waters halt, take it in the canyon down, and possibly home of brown. Um, but I really think it's warm waters halt, take it in the canyon down. Those are the two that you can find on paper that will tell you where to start your hunt. So with that being said, we then go into But we then go into the research. So. I had a couple things to look at um, for the information, Um, the big one being the thrill of the chase book. Um, Now, in the thrill of the chase book, which I have right here, uh, it's been sitting in my closet unused. For obvious reasons, we do have a. we have uh, a list of um basically it's sort of his like i said autobiography is the story of his life and he mentions that if there are any aberrations or anything that stands out it could be a clue so that's something worth noting i felt like too far to walk his other book that he mentions in the one that had the map and he was like maybe there's more clues in my second book So I paid another, you know, 70-something dollars, 80-something dollars for this. This one I I combed through. And uh, he actually talks about, in between these two books, uh, he talks about, on page 124 of Thrill of the Chase, the one that's supposed to have the most clues in it, he says, Today, as... My thoughts drifted by en route to new ideas to be tried and new experiences to be had. I pulled a long forgotten book from a shelf. It's called Fly Water, and it's about the great fishing spots in the western part of this country. Several of the wonderful color plates are where I fished as a kid under the tutelage of my father or where I guided others for pay when I was just a young teen. So he goes on. Basically, he's like, hey. I thought only I knew about these places, but um, you know, some strangers knew about it now. And uh how special those hours were spent watching the waters deepen into cobalt as the flow slowly bent around the bank, or the ripple swirl as the brookie trout an unsuspecting mayfly. Is the brookie took an unsuspecting mayfly. My apologies. Um so he he goes on to talk about this quite a lot. Very meditative. God subtracts from the allotted time of man those hours spent fishing. Um, so, there is a photograph. Uh, the whole book is is almost intolerably self-reflective. Uh, I I I paid a lot of money to voyeuristically look into this man's brain. Um, now. It, it, there is a lot of tragedy to it. His loved ones that he's lost. You feel like you. His brother was a character. He built like a gyrocopter at one point out of like spare parts from a junkyard. Oh my yard. gosh! You, you, right. It, there are some amazing stories in these books, honestly. Can, can that we, I am. Maybe happened. the real treasure is the blueprints to that gyrocopter. So it actually got a couple of feet off the ground, then like propelled forward, then crashed into the ground and almost killed his brother. Oh, okay. Maybe we don't build that. Yeah, you don't want to build that one. The guy was just crazy. He, he just he just builds stuff. Uh, fascinating. Um, and like Fen was the the guy I always lost in daydreams Hear about his. He's a very Tom Sawyer. And like his brother, he kind of likens to Huck Finn. It, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. So so that whole thing about I pulled out a book called Flywater. Anyways, I, I, you know, no reason. So there is a picture on that page some water and it says in like a cursive font my secret fishing spot hey now he brings up several times that his dad would take him fishing and that when they were fishing there was this special spot his special rainbow spot what's that didn't he say that um, you can find the end of my rainbow by following these poems and that he hid it at a place that only he knew about as a boy boy, it sure seems like he hid the treasure near or around the fishing spot, but it was too far for him to walk. So he instead he buried it by a road and made some some clues that'll take you there. Boy, sure seems that way. Now. This whole time, by the way, he's mocking people who overthink things. He's mocking people who overthink things. He's like, you just got to follow what I said, literally what I said, guys so i don't think there's any secret codes any secret cryptograms i mean boy people who got um too far to walk um there is on one page just a list of like in vietnam how many different types of helicopters and planes were downed and i'm like boy someone someone probably made a big chart out of that i bet they did they They absolutely did um i would look at the blogs of treasure hunters looking for forest fun everything they did was about secret codes Everything they did was about secret codes and cryptograms. And we were like, that can't be our approach. We have to look into his life. A very like, I'm clever, not smart. You book smart people will never understand. You overthink things. Anyways, boy, as a boy, I really loved my secret fishing spot. And it's like, okay, I get it. You've heard about your secret fishing spot. So what did I do? Huh. I was smart and wasted my money on a third book called Flywater. Uh. Been ben, print I, I, for a while
1: i would like to take this moment to thank you personally for being the person to take that hit and spending all that money on those books so that none of the rest of us had to
0: you are welcome my uh i did my duty so uh again that's page 124 um he talks about what the treasure is on page 130 On page 132 of Thrill of the Chase, he says that, you know, the poem contains nine clues, which lead to my rainbow. He also finishes it saying he dreamed that the other night he had a dream. He was reincarnated as Captain Kidd and he went to Gardner's Island looking for the treasure. It scared him so badly he was jarred awake and he didn't remember whether he found the treasure or not. So what so that that's really what you get out of the first book. Then what you get out of Too Far to Walk is the map in details, a lot of details on Yellowstone Park. So here's what we get out of the map. He shows, like I said, you get the poem, you get the left side of Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and and a bit of New Mexico north of um, Santa Fe. And uh, I felt pretty good about that because when we when we first started looking into this. He said, it's no more north than Montana. And uh, what we had done is we made our own map. I I bought an atlas. Um, That's purchase number four. I bought an atlas. I tore out these maps and I used red pen and I had it on this bulletin board. And anything north of New Mexico cut off. And we highlighted these four states. We looked, you know, we just had that map. I felt good because before we bought his second book, Too Far to Walk, we had essentially the same map he released. So I knew, I, I felt good about that. I felt like we were on the right trail. What's interesting is that on the right, he has a list that says land status. If something is named yellow, it says BLM. If it's green OSFS, purple NPS, green FWS, orange tribal, okay. So like National Park is like, I'm pretty sure NPS is National Park.
1: That's National Park Service. BLM is Bureau of Land Management. Uh, I'm not sure what OSFS is. So that
0: might be a forestry service out there. Interesting. What's interesting also is, well, it, it felt pretty good. I was in law school at the time. So the first thing that I thought about these is that Each of these are going to change the legal status of who is in control of the land. Boy, why would he go out of his way to make the only key on the map, whether it's tribal land or a national park service, right? So that's because it's going to affect salvage if you buried something there. Who gets to claim the treasure. It's his way of saying, hey, guys. You like these, especially when you factor in like, OK, half of his book is him, you know, really getting into uh, Native American culture. Right. Especially because he curated a museum in um, in New Mexico. God, he had this story. There's one. He had one of the paintings of George Washington. And he would a kid touched the painting and the teacher freaked out And he was like, hey, teacher, art is supposed to be touched. And from now on. I have all the kids and all the tourists touch the George Washington painting. That's the kind of guy he was. I hate that. Can I say like.
1: Yeah, that's a way to ruin a timeless piece of early American art.
0: Is what they want you to think. Forrest Fenn was a. like Again. That's the kind of guy he was. He really hated academia with a passion. So the. He also said he hired a lawyer. At one point in time to go into salvage and understand this. Also, at one point in time, the police at New Mexico said, hey, people are dying. You need to say where this is. He lived in New Mexico. You need to say where this treasure is buried. People are dying. And He was like, who says you have any jurisdiction over it? New Mexico police. I'm not saying I'll just tell people to be safer. Hey, guys. Stop dying. So, um, maybe don't overthink these things. Maybe don't overthink these things as they continue to overthink these things. So,
1: and also die.
0: Well, we have speaking of death and speaking of interesting legal status, have you ever heard of that? Um, kind of, kind of true. Are you kind of talking Irvine about
1: the Yellowstone Triangle? Uh huh. That Tell wonderful Tell us about the Yellowstone Triangle because I definitely haven't dug into this notably because it interests me. So the Yellowstone triangle is this section of Yellowstone national park that intersects across three different States and due to the way that legal jurisdictions are drawn and there's some contention about this, but the story goes, it is this perfect triangle of land out of Yellowstone that lies across three different States, municipalities and jurisdictions where Due to either lack of coverage or overlapping counter kind of countering coverage, no one has jurisdiction over this
0: spot. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in a nutshell, the myth is always if you commit murder there, no one can prosecute you because no Um, one has
1: jurisdiction to do so.
0: So it is the international waters of the Western wilderness for someone who loves technicalities and sticking it to the man. If you had to hide treasure boy sure would be the place to stick treasure so that also no one can claim the treasure. Now that might not be true. Let me be very clear the same way you might commit murder and get prosecuted by one of the three States or whatever, but But they they might be drawing straws as to which one gets to do it. It's not about whether or not his theory is correct. It's would he think that way? Did he believe it and act upon it? And again, they're less likely to, all you know, the land you're more likely to do the treasure thing than get away with murder openly, right? So one would hope. It seems like that was an elegant solution. Also, we know the spots linked to his childhood, and he always talks about how his dad took him fishing in Yellowstone.
1: I was going to so, say, wouldn't it be serendipitous if it turned out that his rainbow spot
0: fell within this area? So let's talk about the rainbow spot. That brings us to book number 3, Flywater. Um in his chapter in the chapter Free Stones and Tailwaters, uh they talk about Hebgen Lake. H E B G E N. Hebgen. And I might I, I Hebgen, I don't know. Maybe I'm saying Hebgen. Man, but, that's that's a name if I never hear it again it'll be too soon. Uh well, you're about to hear it several times. So, uh <laughs> It's described as this spot on the upper Yellowstone River can be reached by combining a long boat ride across Yellowstone. Lake with a 10 mile hike, you know, there'll be no paddle up your creek, but it's and it's far too far to walk. So um, anyways, so begin at where warm waters halt. Did you know that there's a creek that comes out of Hebgen Lake that counts as, according to Flywater, is warm water fishing? And the main fish in it is rainbow trout. By the way, a fish he said he liked to catch as a kid. Maybe you'd call it his secret rainbow spot because of all the rainbow trout where warm waters halt. They are pretty fish. Very tasty, too. Yeah, there's a canyon you can take down through the creek there. Really? Tell me more. Yeah, That's it. You go to Hebgen Lake. There is a view... You head towards a creek into the canyon. Down where the warm is. waters. Yep. In, and then the so canyon down. In that point in time, we have to get off of the map and we have to find the home of Brown. That's what you have to seek there. And you'll be by the water. It's somewhere cold. The warm waters have halted. You're in cold, like spring water at that point in time. There'll be a blaze on a trail put in below the home of Brown. We couldn't solve that on paper. We had to buy tickets. So that is where our journey came to an end. Uh, We will talk now a little bit in a moment about what we would have done once we were there. But that's where the research ended, which also essentially marks an end to the treasure hunting journey that we actually did. Uh, I do I do feel very confident that. We didn't get lost in the mire of codes and theories. I think we solved this exactly how he wanted us to solve it. We avoided the first two pitfalls, right? We weren't the people who don't believe in buried treasure. Easy one to circumvent. Easy one to circumvent. If you can keep that sense of adventure and romance alive. Second filter, you need to approach the challenge as the challenge was intended. You cannot overthink it. This is a guy. Who isn't the type to do wordplay. Or codes. His whole book series is. Look at my memories. Look at my life. Put weight I, into my story.
1: I lived a cool life of adventure. And this is my way of passing that legacy on to you.
0: Where where are my childhood memories? Would I go and hide a treasure? Anyways read this poem. You know. The end of my rainbow, rainbow trout, you know, so he, you know, he mentions a book. I felt like that was a clue. That's like the one time he mentions a book, you know, right before he gets into the poem. I picked up a book the other day and I had a secret fishing spot. Hmm. So you you had to approach it like that. Take him at face value. Only the first two or three of these can we find on paper. And we found him on paper. We put a pin on Habjin Lake. and. Well, Jack, then what were we going to do?
1: Right. So we were fairly certain that we were going to make our way to Hebgen Lake, and we were going to be hiking down this stream through this canyon, all of which Ben, through his research, was able to spot and pinpoint on a map. We were like 99.9% sure this is it. So from there, we were going to go ahead and buy plane tickets and get ourselves down there. And that led to our first kind of hurdle. We might need some specialized equipment to get the treasure up and out of the ground once we found it. So we had to decide once we're there, we're going to need a hotel, we'll have to rent a car. The type of car was going to be a, you know, consideration because several million dollars worth of gold coins is not light. And so we needed a vehicle that was going to be able to handle all of that. So we had gone ahead, figured out the hotel, figured out, you know, lodgings, how to get in there, where we, where would we ditch the car to do the search you know would it be this situation, which is what we came to the conclusion of once we found the spot, someone would go back get the car, drive it to that close road siding, park it there so that once we did have the treasure, we could kind of cheat code it, haul it back up, get it out to the car through the woods, a little bit of bushwhacking never hurt anybody, and you know make out with our ill-gotten gains um. In addition to the logistics of transportation and lodging, we had some concerns about camping in the area. What if this turned out to be a multi-day operation? Do we leave it as is? Do we camp on site? So we'd want to get some camping gear. We were we went so far down the rabbit hole. I went so far down the rabbit hole that, you know, if there's other treasure hunters, what are the gun laws in the area? Would we want to be armed in case someone claim jumped us? We were that serious and ridden with gold fever at that point. And so darn sure that we were going to find it. Uh, also considering several people had died looking for it. You know, it was going to be we have to be dressed appropriately. Land nap might be a factor. I was getting myself versed with map and compass again to make sure that my skills were still sharp. So that going into this unfamiliar area, I could go ahead and get us in and out no problem. You know, what was the wildlife situation going to be like? These were all things going through my head. And as Ben, Aaron, and our other mutual friend were poring over the research, these were the variables I was running through. These guys got us across the finish line as far as telling us where to look, where's the pin on the map. And it was my job to get us situated, settled, and then safely in and out with the treasure. If it was there to be found
0: and we had the right spot, we would find it and get it out safely.
1: But exactly. we never did.
0: I remember, I remember we were, you know, again, this was also, you know, close to, you know, a decade ago. Right. Where we were, we were like, oh my gosh, everyone's got this gold fever. Uh, there, There's going to be, you know, it's like uncharted. There's going to be people, you know, packing heat. Right. They see us with the treasure chest. what? Man. The, the the Nazis might come and try to take the gold from us. <laughs> ah, Haunt and gather. <laughs> we will be taking this this box of kichi items. <laughs>
1: Once again, there is nothing you can find that I cannot take from you.
0: As you have gone alone in there. Uh, wait, wait, hold on. Let me get the let me get the palm up. This is gonna be so funny. Jack this is gonna be so funny. Hold on. I'm <clears throat> uh, I, I'm, I'm holding everything. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> As you have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, but you were not alone, and as I have previously said, they are my treasures. <laughs> that
1: didn't. um, y- You know, it, it didn't ring as flat as I thought
0: it would. I can keep my secret, because you might going to begin to wear treasures No, there's a good one in here, I promise. Oh, wait. <clears throat> There'll be no paddle up your creek, because <laughs> uh, you'll be dead. cut cut the mic cut the mic so uh okay in conclusion folks um i i just wanted to reiterate it was found by a medical student and uh he he released a book apparently in june 2021 which i'm not gonna read yeah
1: out of principle Uh, (laughs) i'm not
0: buying and reading that book because chasing the thrill obsession death and glory in america's most extraordinary treasure hunt one, um, melodramatic. Two, I guess you're entitled to it. You did find it, you bastard. Da- it's by Daniel barbarizi and you can get it wherever smug books are sold. <laughs> I, I want to be clear.
1: I have a lot of respect for him because he did something that we could have and did not do. But two, I'm not reading that book because if it turns out that his line of research was in parallel to what we were doing— And he did the same thing and just looked at it and went, it can't not be in the canyon below
0: Hebgen Lake. And he was right. I would be so mad. Yeah, I can't. That's a big part. Now, he did say Fen tried so hard to keep the location secret so that it would remain, like, serene that he's going to continue to not reveal the exact location. But exactly. I am worried that he'll be like, but step one is Hebgen Lake. I'd be like, I can't. I don't know which one I'd be angrier about that we were right or that we were way off the mark. Um
1: I, I have an appointment with the bottom of a bottle of bourbon now, bye.
0: I I hope I I would hope if I learned I would hope it was we were close and we were on the mark because that would then the lesson merely was you should have pulled the trigger, you should have right. taken the shot, you should have gone for it. If I was completely off my mark, my take would be oh, I'm bad at this, then.
1: If we're wrong, we're out a couple hundred bucks, and we have the experience of going off to the far-flung reaches of the country in search of a buried treasure. If we're right, all of that expense just paid for itself, and then some.
0: So, I mean, in true form, folks, by the way, uh, like I said, this is is like, you know, name to pend. You know, we won't go generic like treasure hunt, but, you know, imagine a treasure hunt too where— going forward, there could be more of these to look into. Forest Fen was the big one, but a little bit of cursory, you know, examining at public treasure hunts. There there are two kinds. Hey, did did we fall into the practical section at the end of the episode just, just then? Oh my gosh, I think we did. I'm looking around okay. and we're here. Hey, folks. Welcome. So, when you are looking for buried treasure right is two people who in an alternate timeline found some wanted to give you some advice the first is that there are two kinds of treasures you can look for there are public challenges usually these can be promotions um i'm seeing in this article on the guy who found it they're mentioning there's a 2002 tv series called push nevada that allowed viewers to try and solve a real life mystery that carried a million dollar prize. End quote. There's also David Blaine did a one hundred thousand dollar prize with a treasure hunt. There are a lot of these that have been created over the years. There are children's novels that might have multi, you know, thousand dollar prizes. There's treasures out there. So the other kind is the actual treasure kind. You know, a ship, uh, you know, a Spanish galleon went down or a bunch of you know, idiot Confederates buried their gold. So we we have real treasures as well, obviously, all throughout the world. One, you've got to study history or know where to look. And the other one really is, they tell you, hey, there's treasure here, go find it. This important takeaway for any of these, like with Forest Fence Treasure Hunt, is you can find it. I think that's, if there's anything that I could say, it's that you are no less clever than the person who ends up finding it that actually looked for it. The difference (laughs) is that they looked for it. We talked about three kinds of people who don't find treasure, okay? The first kind are people who don't believe in buried treasure and you can pass that bar just by listening to this episode today carry that sense of adventure with you the second type of person they don't understand the assignment they're gonna overthink it i think a part of that comes from this feeling of inadequacy it couldn't be that simple i don't trust my instincts it's got to be a code or a clue and, and then they all go on online they make communities and they all try to solve it together. Is if what? Are they all going to share an equal share? How does that work? Man, so, that's like the worst class action settlement. I remember with Forrest Fenn, there were people that are like, yeah, oh, hold on. I found this out. Hold on. If you take the first letter of each paragraph, okay, if you found that, why are you posting it online? You clearly tend right. to never look for this or don't believe in what you're saying because or, then someone else might take what you said and Get six million dollars or worst case you're
1: poisoning the well and like someone's taking your purse purposefully supplied bad information and now they're dead in a ditch think about that Ooh, that's a good point i think um not to say that anyone did that but like that that is the power of information incorrect correct you know maliciously supplied or not you need to be cognizant of what you're throwing out into the ether, which is a totally different message from what we were going for, but I think it does need to be said.
0: And the third the third person, which we we were members of, people who had the savvy to solve the puzzle, but I think a big reason it wasn't just finances, I don't think at the end of the day, at that point in our lives, that we had the faith that we could find it. It just—it felt like at that point in time, it didn't feel like a game of skill. It felt like a game of luck. I could not imagine, and I visualized spending what little money I had to go that far out.
1: And that was kind of the kicker, right? None of none of us really had the scratch to put together to go out on that expedition and not ultimately be successful. Like this would have cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars from each of us, and that. Back then, even
0: now, but especially in my back early 20s, then, I could not have done that in. So what but we had we could have scratched it together. What stopped oh, us was the idea it, of I it, could it, not imagine us. Do, now, here's the thing. Looking back in life. Oh, my God. Even if we didn't find the treasure, what an amazing trip that would have been a. a it would have been still fine to not the treasure would have been the friends we met along the way. It really would have. And I I have to say. I think that both
1: of us, and I'll speak for you on this one because I'm pretty confident that we're of one mind on this. I would have been a lot less salty that someone had found that treasure had we gone out and tried. Because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And this is one we absolutely didn't take. And then we let life get the better of us, you know, further on down where we could have revisited this. We could have gone back and looked and we didn't. And let's
0: talk about the final fourth person. Right. Right. The fourth person is the person who followed their instincts, followed their clues, had that sense of adventure, went and looked for it and didn't find it. Right. We Um, wish that was us in this case. That the fifth group, the guy who found the treasure. It's a very small club. Was in the fourth group and just got lucky. Or, you know, that that the Well, the let's, not, down, let's not downplay power, it. I'm, I'm not still. downplaying it. It skill and luck, right? My point about skill is that the difference in skill this this guy, you know, he worked for The Onion at one point. I'm looking up kind of a bio. His name, by the way, it was Jack Stoof. He was the one who found the treasure. Right? He was not a professional treasure hunter. No. He, that wasn't That wasn't anything of this guy's background. That's the important thing is each group gets smaller and you have the power to try looking for treasure. You're already in a very small club. And. This isn't getting struck by lightning, folks like this is this is one of those adventures that if you undertake, especially pre catered ones where there's a guaranteed Follow these clues. There is a thing we put there. If you go for it, it's a small club of people and it might feel like there's a hundred thousand people looking for the same thing as you and online. That might be true. But let me tell you, most of them swim in circles, overthinking, overanalyzing, never looking for it. Even the people with the good ideas, a lot of them didn't go out looking for it because they had work on Monday. If you can go, your odds are high. So That's that's all I'm saying get get past those you know get past those barriers and you know I I I think that that also goes with our paranormal investigation Jack right Mm mm-hmm it we we talk about how accessible seeing some wonderful things out there are some of the, the most strangest things you wouldn't believe being the person who puts on the backpack and goes to that strange place at night your odds of having that experience are so high. Because how many people actually made it that far? Exactly. You,
1: once you join that group of people that actually stepped out their door and made the moves to go and see these things, I mean, you, in a way, you've now moved yourself into a much smaller, more exclusive group. Not that you're not welcome to join it, but that it takes one of the most momentous steps or acts of will that one can do and that's actually getting up and doing something taking that risk
0: As always thank you to Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party for use of our theme song Into the Red Light we really appreciate the permission we have to use that awesome piece of music it's off the album The Ghost Hunters Handbook now I also am aware that at this point in time Beezus Taylor is putting together another album so why don't you go look up Beezus Taylor on social media, follow those links, find out how you can also support that because I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Also, please give us a shout out on social media. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Haunt and Gather. You can find us on Instagram at Haunt and Gather. And we're on, we're on thread. We're on threads now. That's pretty exciting. You know that, Jack? I I was today years. No, I'm kidding. I knew about that. It's pretty great though. And uh, also hauntgather.com. Hauntgather.com. We have some blog entries. In addition, if you ever have any questions? We do have an email link as well. So uh, please give us a visit. We can we can use the support, especially right now. as a new podcast if you can leave a rating on spotify itunes or wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast we really appreciate it finally folks we use some additional songs in the background for today's episode that would be fireflies and stardust as well as thunder dreams these are both by kevin mcleod at incompetech.com i-n-c-o-m-p-e-t-e-c-h.com generously licensed under creative Commons by attribution 3.0 creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash buy forward slash 3.0. And finally, thank you, dear listener.
1: Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors, is written and produced by Jack krisky and Benjamin Bagensky. Our theme song, Into the Red Light, is used with permission and performed by Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party. You can check out her album, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook, on YouTube and Spotify.